Today's reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. <clears throat> Excuse me. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in holy ways, and observing God's commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall certainly perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying God, and holding fast to God, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be, Thanks to, be God. to God. Let's pray. Holy God, you ask a lot of us, but you also have given yourself for each and every one of us. May we see your light. Taste the joy of a salty seasoning and be your effective people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the January 2nd and 3rd edition of the New York Times, there's an article that you might have read, How a Bit of Awe Can Improve Your Health. How could I ignore that? It obviously caught my attention, and I read it twice. So the author is Hope Reese, and she quotes UC Berkeley psychologist, I hope I say his name correctly, Dachner, Dacher Kultner, who says, Awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something that transcends your understanding transcends, moves you to another place in your understanding of the world. The quote continues. While many of us associate awe with dramatic, life-changing events, the truth, he writes, is that awe can be part of everyday life. Experiencing awe comes from what Dr. Keltner called perceived vastness as well as something that challenge us, challenges us to rethink our previously held ideas. I have to keep reading the quote. Awe can be triggered from moments like seeing the Grand Canyon, to which I would insert, yes, or witnessing an act of kindness, end quote, or petting Linda's dog, Pippa, which I did during the passing of the piece. A little, a little awe. Awe instructs, I'm sorry, awe interrupts self-criticism. Now I'm talking. Awe interrupts your self-criticism. Of course, nobody would ever do self-criticism, correct? As a culture, we tend toward 
self-criticism. I recommend a little book called, written by the Stones, called Embracing Your Inner Critic. It does not say removing your inner critic, defeating your inter inner critic, but embracing your inner critic as a formative and it's a formative, informative and gentle resource of naming, you know what, we do this and you're not going to stop doing this. So let's consider other things to do when you notice that you are experiencing your own self-criticism. So whether we are taught to self-criticize, that lovely parental voice in our head, or we have developed this practice of in our, on our own, facing, naming the inaccuracies of self-criticism is a freeing exercise. And it helps in then recognizing how easily awe is a gift given. Now, awe can work the other way around. Awe can help us interrupt our own self-critical voice or our self-preoccupation, which of course nobody in the sanctuary or at home ever does. It allows us to refocus, awe does, refocus on the beauty of God, beauty of so that's something absolutely out of our control and out of our hands, yet loves us and calls us beloved as we do God. Awe helps us to see beauty in others when we get out of our own heads. Now, Deuteronomy 30. It is presented in our scriptures as Moses's final speech to the tribe of Israel as they're about ready to take over with Joshua on a different course. It is meant to be a moment of awe. Reconnect. Who is your God? What is not your God? The story is written back into Israel's history rather than representing verbatim what Moses said, or maybe it is exactly what Moses said. I don't care. It's scripture, and I love these words. Moses is trying to say, guys, I need you to refocus on what is most important. You have a God who is with you. This is how Moses wants to launch a new nation. He's saying, you can follow Yahweh or the ways of other gods. You cannot follow both. The impulse of the people was to vacillate. And I'm going to quote Robert Jensen, who says, tongue-in-cheek, and I, I hope he means tongue-in-cheek because I hear it this way. Yahweh, to be sure, is our God. But who is to say there is not something true and viable also in the gods of other neighbors, in the Balaam, in the Asherah? Surely, in religious matters, it is wiser to be inclusive than exclusive. Tongue-in-cheek is my reading. That's how I understand this sentence. To which I remind you of the beginning of Deuteronomy and the great Shema. God is not ambiguous in this text or in the beginning of Deuteronomy on whom to follow. 
This came true and real for me in Birmingham, England, when David and I were invited to participate in interfaith dialogue between Christian and Muslim. And the Imam looked at us Christians. We were so respectful. We were so calm. We were trying our hardest to be inclusive. And he looked at us and said, I have no respect for your religion unless you're willing to stand up and state this is what you believe. But not ask me to do the same because I'm not going to ask you to do the same. No ambiguity. Would you guys just stand up on your faith in your God? Because I'm going to do that. That's our mutuality. Now let's talk about respecting one another. That guy changed my life. Because I was one of those, oh, I'm going to totally be inclusive. This is awesome. And he said, you know, this practicing inclusivity on this one. I respect you if you respect your faith. That went off topic. Moses is not offering a choice, awe or no awe. His voice articulates ancient Israel's experience, which is why I think this is something written back into Moses's voice, because the people of Israel to whom Moses is speaking here eventually did try Balaam and Asherah and a little bit of God, and that switched back and forth high places and temple living, loving your neighbors that you liked, but dismissing the neighbors that you did not like, even within your own family. Remembering, oh yes, I forgot, remembering the Shema, and then wondering, wondering what's all the fuss about. These are descriptors, not of a unique people, but of our entire faith history that we still the gospel reading for today is something rather similar. It's Matthew 5, and as you can tell, I'm a coward. We did not read from Matthew 5 today. Jesus and Moses were on the same page. You have the gifts of Yahweh. Use them. Do not ignore them. Do not put it under a bushel so that your light cannot shine. You are the salt of the earth. Recognize God's gifts through you, seasoning what you do, which usually we don't do because we don't want to be arrogant, saying, wow, God used me. Well, forget about the God used me part. Just see God using you as a reality, which is why we have nighttime closing prayer. Thank you, God, for what you have done through me today that I never noticed. That's called being the salt of the earth. So rather than listening to your inner critic that says, oh, God could never use me, or I need more seasoning because nobody can see God through me. And of course, if you're beating yourself up, you're right. <laughs> nobody is going to see God through you. But look, not just at yourself, but beyond yourself and trust that God is with you, through you, through that smile, through that greeting, through that text message to somebody, through that simple word of encouragement, a letter, a report, an email, that made all the difference to somebody you will never know about. Thank you for that. Salt does not keep tallies on what it seasons. It just works. And that's you. Don't worry about tallies. 
Just know that you are a salty saint. Why? Because God made you a salty saint. If you look back with a twinge, if you look back and say, Ikes, I shouldn't have done that. Great. Seek reconciliation or release. Keep moving forward. Salty saints. Now, I assume you know that the, the San Jose Presbytery owns a catamaran. You know this? You don't know this. Oh, cool. It owns a catara catamaran named Salty Sheep. I walk by Salty Sheep on my morning walks through the Santa Cruz Harbor and down along the ocean because I need the ocean to remind me of awe, and it's only five blocks down there, so who's not going to walk down there? Salty Sheep is run by Reverend Ryan Althouse, whom you know. Excellent. Maybe he's going to be coming preaching in April. He not only runs Salty Sheep Ministry, but also Sweaty Sheep, because he believes movement is extremely important to your body, and movement with other people is extremely important. Ryan is blessedly non-traditional and mind-blowing to someone like me. So when he reports to Presbytery, I tend to get myself critical and think, oh my gosh, I don't do anything as cool as what Ryan does. Well, good, because I couldn't. He is our Presbytery representative on the national denomination for hunger. He is our hunger advocate for our Presbytery, and he's an uh, advocate for peacemaking with our national church. About Ryan, he believes that wellness is expressing and experiencing acceptance. Expressing and experiencing acceptance. His ministry is one of just giving acceptance. He believes that recreation is re-creation. It is that healthy for you and for me. About himself, he says, undeniably out of the box, yoga, teaching, wave surfing, sea sailing, pastor in Surf City, Santa Cruz, on Sundays, you'll find me speaking around the San Francisco Bay Area as a regional mental health disability and LGBTQ inclusion affiliate for our national church. In my free time, I am, let's see, where is it? In my free time, I am also founder and director of the nonprofit Sweaty Sheep. Good, I already mentioned that. A program whose mission to embrace the arts and recreation as a medium to overcome divisive faith. Now I have to click off my inner critic again. He does that? That is so cool. He says about himself, it keeps me playful and purposeful throughout the week, this idea of recreation as re-creation. Brian uses salty sheep to offer free rides on this catamaran twice a week to anyone, no pain necessary. He's just there. His boat's right there. Now, contrasting Ryan and myself is humorous. I think and read a lot. 
Ryan thinks and reads a lot and does 100 times more things than I do. I live in a 1,200 square foot home. Ryan lives in an 80 square foot home. We are both salty saints in God's kingdom. Kingdom. Our differences do not separate us, nor do the differences represented by everybody throughout this worship services. Our differences unite us. They do not separate us. Jesus called his followers the salt of the earth, the light of the world. This is not a mandate. It is not a compliment, and it is not a competition. It is God working through you with your name on that little salt. Why do I know this? I know this more from Scripture than any place else. So just look at Paul and Apollos. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Corinthians being that church that is so dysfunctional that Paul has to spend his whole time saying, I think your relationships need to get fixed. And this is what I recommend. So in chapter 3, Paul writes, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each of us. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth in you. We are God's co-workers working together. You are God's field. Apollos, Apollos, Paul. Now, if we apply this to you all, how about if the words are, what is your former pastor? What is your future pastor? St. Paul would say planters, gardeners, both helping salty saints grow in compassion and service through encounters with God. You are God's co-workers working together. Various approaches, but you put them all together. There is salty saints at work. Now here's the good news, A, I'm finishing. B, what happened to my saltiness? Is it gone? You are not powerful enough to remove God's saltiness on you. Believe me, you are not powerful enough to interrupt the work of God that God can do through you. So behold the awe of God, salt and light happen because of you. Amen.